Romans chapter 13, our text today are verses 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Lord, graciously give us understanding now as we come to your word today. Your word is truth and life. Give us courage and wisdom to follow you. Keep us by your word. Keep us in your word. Amen. If I were to ask you, what do you need to grow in the most? How would you answer? What area of life do you need the greatest work of transformation? And now that you have the answer in your head, what if I were to tell you that there is a right answer and all the other answers are wrong answers? Because you're probably thinking, well, that's personal, right? The area I need to grow in versus the the area that someone else needs to be transformed in. And what if I told you that this correct answer is the same for all of us. The area in which each of us needs the greatest work of transformation is the need to love. With these brief verses, the Apostle Paul continues his instructions for transformed living that he began back in chapter 12, verse 1. And he first mentions love In verse 9 of chapter 12, where he says, love must be genuine or sincere. But then he applies it throughout those verses until he gets to verse 17, where he says that instead of taking up retaliation and revenge against evil, we are to overcome evil with good by being a good citizen in chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. And now in chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, by being a good neighbor. Watch how Paul connects these. By subjecting ourselves to governing authorities, we are good citizens. By loving others, we are good neighbors. Of course, what the Bible says about love contradicts so much of what the world says love is that we have to continually work to define love. It isn't sentiment. It isn't physical attraction. It isn't accepting a person for everything that they are. It isn't, in the words of some of our pop icons of years gone by, a battlefield. Everybody over the age of 50 gets that one. Or 80s buffs. It is not a stranger in an open car to tempt you in and drive you far away. Or, in the words of one of our favorite Disney princesses, love is not an open door. And there are many others. Our world defines love. Our world does get one thing right, though. 
it puts love as primary. Think about how many songs talk about love. Many of them are Christian songs. Many of the world's songs from the beginning of time until today talk about love. They center on love. Paul makes love primary also. And he does so, though, by revealing first that love is a continual debt. Also that love is the comprehensive commandment. And also that love is conclusive good. So first, Paul says, we owe a continual debt of love. Verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. Paul is not prohibiting us here from taking out loans or even incurring consumer debt. There is plenty of sound, valid, and biblical financial wisdom warning us to live free of debt. And many financial gurus with programs and packages and seminars will even stake their counsel on Romans 13, 8. But this is wrong. That's not what Paul is talking about. Owing no one anything refers to the paying of taxes and revenues in verse 7. Last week we talked about that. We talked about how we are to subject ourselves to governing authorities... And the primary way we do that is by paying taxes and paying revenues. So Paul is saying in verse 8 then, Make good on your financial obligations as good citizens, subjecting yourselves to the governing authorities. Don't owe these. Don't go in the red. Don't accrue these as debts to society. Because that would be resisting the authorities that God has established instead of subjecting ourselves to them. On the other hand, to love each other is a debt that can never be paid off. As Christ's people, Paul is saying, keep the one debt paid off. And the other never satisfied. There is always the need to love each other. This is the sacrificial, joyful love we have for fellow believers and for unbelievers. The kind of love that we have for family and for strangers. The love that we have for friends and for enemies. The love that we have for the wealthy and the poor. It's the kind of love that we have for people that we need in our lives and that we rely upon. It is also the kind of love that we have for people who depend on us, who need our help. This is God's love for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16. 
It is the love that Paul said back in chapter 12, verse 9, must be genuine, a whole love, a love without fracture, without duplicity or hypocrisy. This is the love that produces brotherly affection, honor, zeal, joy, endurance, prayer, hospitality. It is this love that we owe to each other. Think of it in this way. Jesus, by dying to pay the debt that we owed for our sins, has put us each in debt to everyone else, a debt to love each other the way he loved us in dying for us. That's the debt of love that you owe. And the depth of that debt, the extent of that depth, matches the depth of love that Christ showed in dying for you. That's why it can never be paid off. As Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 13, the night before he was crucified to his disciples, he said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then in verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Paul makes love primary, gives it its primary place because Jesus gave love a primary place. But the reason Paul gives in verse 8 is surprising. Because next we see love is the comprehensive commandment. Love is the comprehensive commandment. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So love is a continual debt. You can never pay it off. And love is the comprehensive commandment. Now what does Paul mean by this fulfilling the law? According to Romans chapter 3, verse 20, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. In chapter 3, verse 21, the righteousness of God has been manifested, has been made known apart from the law. In chapter 3, verse 28, one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. In chapter 5, verse 20, the law came in to increase the trespass to make sin more sinful, to make it more obvious. In chapter 6, verse 14, Paul says that sin will have no dominion over us since we are not under law, but under grace. In chapter 7, verse 4, we have died to the law through the body of Christ. In chapter 7, verse 6, we are released from the law. In chapter 8, verse 2, the law of the spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In chapter 10, verse 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So when Paul says that love is a fulfillment of all the commandments, it's the fulfillment of the law, That takes us back through a little bit of review of the book of Romans. 
But what does he mean by it? Well, he can't mean in Romans 13, verse 8, that by loving others, we somehow keep the law, that we somehow achieve righteousness through the law by loving people. That can't be what he means by fulfilling the law. Now, what Paul means is that now that we are no longer under the law, but that we are in Christ and the Spirit is in us, we are a new covenant people. And as a new covenant people, we are now empowered to love each other, thus demonstrating a fulfillment of the law. Though we are never more bound to the law... Or to the law's demands, we live out what the law demanded but could never enable us to do. Only someone who is justified by faith can do that. As Paul wrote in Romans 8, verses 3 and 4, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Paul is simply elaborating that walking according to the spirit is to love each other and this is fulfilling the law. And as God's new covenant people, we venerate the goodness and the rightness of the law when we love each other. And so in verse 9, Paul lists some specific commandments to illustrate how love fulfills the law. Each of these commandments are found in the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. That's the Seventh commandment. You shall not murder is the sixth commandment. You shall not steal is the eighth commandment. You shall not covet is the tenth commandment. Now, no one's sure why Paul chooses these four and puts them in this particular order, but obviously they all address human-to-human relationships, horizontal relationships. Some of the commandments addressed our relationship to God. Some of them address our relationships to other people. We might say, more accurately, that they were given to regulate our relationships with other people. And we know that these are only examples because he adds, and any other commandment. So any other commandment comes under this comprehensive commandment to love. All commandments addressing human relationships are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we typically think of the book of Leviticus as pretty dry and pretty bizarre, which is kind of odd because if it was that bizarre, you'd think it wouldn't be that dry. But it's both. And many a read through the Bible has stalled out in the book of Leviticus. Yes. Someone said yes because they've experienced it. 
Yet this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is found in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. If anything demonstrates that love for others truly encompasses the whole law, it is this statement found at the heart of the priestly codes and regulations. In the middle of all of the trappings, of all of the blood and guts of sacrifices and all of the, all of the details that had to go into what it meant to offer sacrifices and systems and stay away from this and ceremonial cleansings is this commandment to love your neighbor. Well, Paul, I think, is less concerned about the book of Leviticus itself, where the verse is found, but instead is captivated by Jesus' teaching about this verse. In Matthew 22, Jesus exalts Leviticus 19.18 to the second greatest commandment. Matthew 22, beginning in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. This is the reason we always have to redefine what love means because love for other people can never violate what love for God is. That is the first and greatest commandment. But the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So loving God first and then loving your neighbor encompasses everything that the law demanded and everything that the prophets declared. Love is primary. And love is comprehensive. And in case we might wonder just who our neighbor is, Jesus has already answered that question for us in the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is found in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. And behold, a, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. And by the way, both Matthew 22 and here, when it talks about a lawyer, it's not an attorney like we think of an attorney. It was someone who was scholar, scholarly trained in the law of Moses. This was someone who had specifically studied and trained and given their life to understanding all of the ins and outs of the Mosaic law. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? You've been trained. You're the expert in the law. What does the law say? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He got it, didn't he? He knows. He knows the right answer. 
And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, meaning the man wanted to justify how he treated and mistreated certain people. And so he wished to redefine neighbor or define neighbor very narrowly. Desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And most of you are familiar with this story. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And when he, uh, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Both of them see him. And it wasn't that they missed him, they avoid him. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? It's obvious. The man gets the answer right. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. That is what it means to love your neighbor. Samaritan, enmity with the Jews. Yet this man's fellow Jews pass him by, leave him in the ditch to die. But someone who should have been his enemy goes and helps him, shows him compassion. When Paul says in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, that the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, he is clearly extending this love beyond the church. By pointing to Leviticus 19.18 and all that Jesus has said about what it means to love your neighbor and who your neighbor is, Paul may have started with loving one another, but he is taking that one another and he's saying, applying it to everybody. This love goes beyond the church. This love is for everyone. So, neighbor is comprehensive, encompassing any and every person. And love is comprehensive, encompassing every commandment. This is what Paul means when he says the commandments are summed up by loving our neighbors. So, love is the comprehensive commandment. And you see why I say that regardless of what your answer was in terms of what you need the most transforming work in in your life, Paul and Jesus place this as the most important. They place it as primary. And finally in verse 10, Paul reveals that love is conclusive good. It's conclusive good. And here's what I mean by that. Verse 10 summarizes how love does not act. Having listed a few commandments as examples, 
Paul now summarizes what all of the law was given to regulate and restrain. Wrong. Wrong. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. This is the summary because committing adultery is wronging your neighbor. The person you commit the sin with and the person that they violate in committing the sin. Murder is wronging your neighbor. Stealing is wronging your neighbor. Coveting is wronging your neighbor. This is how love is comprehensive of all the commandments and is conclusive. Because if you love somebody, you don't have to think, well, I could steal from them, but I can't murder them. You're not going to do any of those things to your neighbor. All of the law was given to regulate and restrain wrong. So let's talk about this word wrong because we've seen it before. Paul uses it over and over again in Romans chapters 12 and 13. And He uses it first, or not first, but most immediately in chapters 13, verses 1 through 7. Bad conduct, chapter 13, verse 3. See that? That word bad is the same word, wrong. If you do wrong, chapter 13, verse 4. The law, the governing authorities, exist to punish the wrongdoer. Same word. But we also find it back up in chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. You just don't see it because it's the word evil. Every time you see the word evil in those verses, it is the same word. In chapter 12, verse 9, we are to abhor evil. We are not to repay evil for evil, verse 17. Do not be overcome by evil. Chapter 12, verse 21. So chapter 13, verse 10, could be translated, love does no evil to a neighbor. It does no harm. It does no wrong. It does no evil to a neighbor. And therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. That is, love is the summary of good. The good and acceptable and perfect will of God, chapter 12, verse 2. The good we must hold fast, in chapter 12, verse 9. The good by which we are to overcome evil, chapter 12, verse 21. The good conduct that brings approval from governing authorities. Chapter 13, verse 4. Do you see what Paul is doing? You, could, you really could say that after the spiritual gifts in, verses, uh, in chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, Paul now, beginning in chapter 12, verse 9, all the way to chapter 13, verse 10, is pitching good against evil. And the summary, the conclusion of all good is love. 
It's why love must be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. But there's more. Notice how Paul focuses on love as the summary of good right after he explains the spiritual gifts, as I just mentioned. But think about this. He talks about how each of us is gifted, how God's grace is distributed among the members of his body, and that we're all gifted in different ways. And then he launches into this overcoming, good, uh, overcoming evil with good. And he focuses on love as the summary of good right before addressing conflict in the community. That's chapter 14. So Paul takes this, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, not conformed to the world, so that for the purpose of discerning, approving, understanding, and living according to the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here's how you're all gifted. And then he's going to talk about conflict, and right in the middle, he sandwiches love's primary place, which is all very familiar to us, very similar to 1 Corinthians. If you were to go to 1 Corinthians... Go to 1 Corinthians 12. Paul addresses what? Spiritual gifts. And he lists all these different gifts. And he says that the Spirit of God sovereignly distributes these gifts among all of the various members of the body. And there Paul even elaborates and talks about how we can't all be eyes and we shouldn't all be feet. Uh, we can't all be mouths. We all have to be different to make a body. And that we shouldn't look down on one another because the gifts are different. We ought to exalt each other. We ought to be grateful for how God has distributed the gifts. Then in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, Paul corrects, he addresses some of the abuses of some of the gifts in gathered worship, when the church is gathered, and he gives them specific instructions about how they're to use these gifts. And what does Paul sandwich right in the middle between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14? You say, well, that's got to be number 13, because you're a bunch of bright people. 1 Corinthians 13, though, is what? I will show you a better way. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's the love chapter, quote unquote, where Paul says that without love, I am nothing. I can preach with the language of angels, but if I don't have love, I'm just an empty sound. I'm just a clanging symbol. I can even sacrifice my life. I could give my life to the flames. I could, you can be self-sacrificial without actually loving people. Did you know that? That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. I could give my life for others and not love. And if I have not love, it's nothing. And then he concludes 1 Corinthians 13 by saying, Now these remain, faith, hope, 
and love, but the greatest of these is love. Romans is written to a different church under different circumstances and with some different challenges. But the truth is the same. And Paul's whole argument here from beginning in chapter 12, verse 1, through the end of 14 and into chapter 15, he has put these words about love's primary place. That, if we are going to exercise our various gifts together, and if we are going to deal with conflict and misunderstanding and certain freedoms in Christ and matters of conscience over which we can argue, we have to love each other. Love is primary when it comes to Christian living. You might even say that the truest mark of a renewed mind and a transformed life is genuine love. A continual debt, a comprehensive command, and conclusive good. In Colossians chapter 3, Again, the Apostle Paul writes, and this is why he says this, I think. It's this comprehensive nature of love. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiveness. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Lord, there are many things in which we need to grow. There are many sins of which we need to repent, that we need to receive grace and forgiveness for. There are many areas of life where we need transformation. But Lord, because of its primary place, Every single one of us, Lord, needs you to work in us love. All of us need to grow in what it means to love one another. Because you died for us. And you put us in one another's debt. And everything that the law and the prophets declare and demand is summed up by your command for us to love each other. And that is the conclusion. Love is this good that we must hold fast to. So Lord, we know that you are faithful and we trust that you will continue 
to transform us, to change us, to renew our minds that we may love one another more fully, that we may love one another more frequently, more powerfully. In your name we ask these things. Amen. Amen.